Thank you for uh, joining us for another episode of Real Japan. I am Josh, and joining me today is my co-host, Jason, and as, uh, most of the time also, my wife, Stacy. So today we're watching Ghost in the Shell, the live-action remake of the 1995 cybernetic thriller. A lot of people's probably first uh, movie of Japanese animation. People who became fans in the n- mid-90s, I would say this was a probably very, picked up. very popular starting off one. It's yeah. going to be Akira. Ghost in the Shell, Ninja Scrolls. I would say those are the three big movies uh, for people. Okay. Past that, I would say Fist of the North Star. Uh, but definitely top five of the major animes people would have seen uh, to get them in. I believe if you watched any VHS tapes, <laughs> uh, you're going to see previews because, you know, back then there's only so many people putting out anime. Um, VHS? What's that? <laughs> Look it up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, so there's three iconic scenes from this movie that you would have seen all throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what you see in this live-action remake uh, made in 2017 starring Scarlett Johansson... Of course, casting her caused major controversy, which which we'll get to uh, later in this uh, episode. The manga that uh, it's based off of, as well as both movies, is based in the distant future, specified to be 2029. Whoa, so far off. In 11 years, uh, we're going to be able to have arms with hidden shotguns in them. Uh, we're going to be able to have... The ability to deep dive into computer networks. We're going to have ocular implants to be able to see x-ray, infrared, and a host of other uh, abilities. As well as, according to the 1995 anime... Payphones. Yeah, yeah, payphones still exist. <laughs> payphones are going to make a comeback. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, they'll still take phone cards. Yes, <laughs> but you can, in an upgrade, you can use them to remote hack people, apparently. Uh, yeah, but uh, that was still a, a thing where people got hacked because of modems. <laughs> Doesn't it just sound evil? <laughs> I think people have to look that one up as well. Uh, yes. <laughs> so we took a different approach when we watched this one. Uh, we watched the uh, live action. And uh, Stacey and I have both seen the original uh, from uh, 1995 as well as the animated TV series. Uh, keeping with tradition, uh, I haven't really seen anything except bits and pieces of the anime series. But I don't think I've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't until we broke tradition here, and then we had him watch the uh, movie, because I think what goes to say here is that this is a adaptation and a changing of the 1995 movie, uh, where the same set pieces, the same overall structure, the pacing, all that is, is the same, and you're pretty much just being led to one of the set pieces to another, uh, but with a slightly different story to make it intriguing and its own movie yeah, in its own right. Of, yeah, it kind of gave it, it its its own feel, but uh, you're saying the, there's a lot of major, or the major plot points, like if they were putting up a storyboard, they basically said, or at the watched the 1995 movie and just said, okay, we want this scene, this scene, this scene, this scene, and kind of hit those marks and went off on their own tangent in some cases. So as we said earlier, this is set in the far future of uh, 2029 in Japan. Um, although the set pieces do seem like they're kind of in different cities. It's definitely very much that the 1995 one, I think, was very much more Japanese, where the live action movie kind of made it more of a mixed ethnic uh, one to kind of highlight the issue of immigration that plays throughout a lot of the mm. Ghost in the Shell shows, uh, movies, or manga. Yeah, I'm just going to say, 
say it's Tokyo. Well, you, okay, so you have Japan Town, you have China Town, you have uh, Hong Kong Town. <laughs> yeah, well, a, a lot of uh, in the live action movie more look like uh, Kowloon in Hong Kong than I would say in a lot of places in Japan itself. Mm. A lot of the 1995 movie also looked more Hong Kong like than Japan from what probably just, just uh, it, the buildings were real or close together. There were slums. There were things were kind of dirty, gritty. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's how China is or anything <laughs> no. like that, but that's no. kind of the, after watching Hong Kong action uh, films. That's this kind of the feeling with uh, you get from that. If you watch the series, they do make a lot of references to some sort of war or something that Japan was involved with. They get an influx of immigrants. Based on that, you would assume that something has happened and they've taken people in. They were fleeing some sort of war in Asia. Once again, they don't really mention anything. Uh, America tends to play uh, a, some sort of role in Ghost in the Shell, uh, so you can assume that. They have their hands in something because a lot of uh, Japanese uh, media tends to <laughs> cast uh, Americans as uh, warmongering uh, at one hand and then like heroic or th- or thinking they're heroic in the other. The uh, shows take uh, place around one Motoko Kusanagi, a major in a very generically described Section 9 secret branch of the government that uh, works outside the law. And deals with cyber crimes. Yeah. Mm. She is the unique and you know, the, the main character in the form that uh, she is like completely cyberized uh, with her like every component of her being uh, robotic. Except her brain, which is a human brain. Is that the uh, same with the um, manga as well as how they adapted it to the live action. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, uh, Motoko uh, Kutsunagi, the, or the major, as we'll refer to her as, because uh, that's what most people call her, being, you know, she's not the head of the department that's done by Aramaki, uh, played by... Beat Takeshi, who's gotten old. <laughs> well, Aramaki's an old character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of surprising, because Beat Takeshi's been around a long time. He's directed a lot of movies. He always... Also cameos inside his own movies. So, you know, having watched him for a long time, it's sometimes a surprise when you see an actor, like, so many years later, like, wow, they have gotten old now. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they also gave him, like, old age makeup and white hair and stuff, but it was still like, wow. <laughs> Cameo in a lot of his movies. Is he Stanley? Uh, yes, he's Japanese yeah, Stanley. He's Japanese oh, okay. Stanley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the major and another major character, Abato, are kind of like the main uh, people of this division. When you watch the the animated uh, TV series goes in the shell standalone complex or second gig second yeah. gig uh, you'll see more of the team and you do see them in both these movies kind of in the background and they refer to them but they don't really stand out as any you know significant uh, characters unless you've seen the broader collection of Ghost in the Shell. So the first uh, set piece uh, uh, scene is the very iconic jump off a building to go kill some people. Um, and as she's like jumping off, she has the thermal camouflage that uh, gets keyed in and she disappears into the background of the cityscape below her. That's a, a, a scene that 1995 America just went wild for. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because she was naked, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. That's the- Not at all. <laughs> not it's not titillating in the least. <laughs> 
<laughs> with all the titties on display, there's no titillation. Yes, <laughs> no. It's serious things. She's going to assassinate a person. Yeah. In the 1995 film, in the, in the 2017 version, she actually goes in uh, to deal with, uh, spoiler alert, a attempted hacking of a... It was the corporation. Yeah, the corporation, the Honka, yeah. the uh, kind of shadowy company in the background that had built her, actually. Yeah. And the... It, in the 2017 live action. Visually, they did have some minor differences. 1995, you had the police storming the building. 2017, it's some people breaking in to assassinate a bunch of people and then to do this uh, forced mind jack. You still had like the very cool, you know, briefcases, had a button in there, actually like some machine guns mm -hmm. and everything else. I would say that the 2017 movie did it better, though. It was, a, it was more action-y. Yeah, I think that's where just... Kind of, it's been 20 years since uh, a lot of things have changed in the filmmaking industry. So they kind of had a little bit more stuff available in to kind of cover some of it. I mean, even the storytelling in that piece of it kind of told a little more. Because with the, uh, in the anime one, she falls down and then shoots him through a window. You kind of see some people in there, but it's all dark. You can't. But there's not really much else to the scene where in the live action one, she kind of breaks in. They're having dinner in a private room. She breaks in. There's more people around. And the scene got set up a little better or a little different. Well, and that's what I would say is that the 2017 one's a little bit better. And this is actually where the change in the 2017 to the 1995 movie is. The 1995 movie, it's dealing with rogue, well, not rogue, but governments looking uh, to get government secrets mm -hmm. where this one is setting it up to where it is an issue with corporations right. so that's the first major break in at least the story elements between the two films is that the 1995 film is the SWAT team comes in and there's some like minor shooting and they're like oh stop shooting diplomatic immunity <laughs> Yeah, and then and then that's it, and then she comes in and like takes a shot mm. in this <laughs> in the great uh, tradition of ultra violence and like just head exploding. Oh yeah, and you see the spine and <laughs> well, yeah, they use explosive bolts. It's in the future. Yeah, <laughs> another thing in the in the set piece where she's standing on top of the building, you see you know the cityscape and they've got all these like hologram giant advertising things. And the yeah. live action one, yeah, yeah, and the live action where yeah, that was kind of an interesting addition that. Something that wasn't in the, you know, the previous movie, but I guess in the modern age, we see every day how much more advertising has become, you know, invasive, I guess, in everyday life. So it's something that more modern people would probably think of that, oh yeah, and they're going to have huge advertisements in the future too. Whereas right. in 1995, you might not have thought it's just going to get to that kind of level where it's just so in your face, like 20 story hologram rotating in the Good sky. Billboards type, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess that's kind of the the vision of the future has changed within the last 20 years uh, or visionary wise. The 95 version, it was a little more real war or I guess not really real world, but it was more, it was still kind of modern um, it was there wasn't a lot of new high tech stuff all over the place where the live action one was definitely the whole city is kind of a booming metropolis 
in some instances where they've got they've got flying cars type stuff where in the 1995 version still had helicopters and normal planes instead of kind of more high-tech stuff well uh, that's also going with this you know what, what are you expecting because when you're thinking of the future you're not necessarily going to make a leap of logic yeah as to where things are gonna go so for them High tech is well. You still got you still got to make calls, so obviously you're still going to do it from a payphone, um, and you're still going to have your phone cards to look it up. But the high tech part is now you can get your you know mind hacked from over that line, right? So I mean, for them, that's what that's what the futuristic part is. You're taking something that you already know and this making it slightly futuristic. You know, you like mentioned like flying cars. Mm. Yeah, so somebody just took cars and like, oh, wouldn't it be great if like I didn't have wheels in this thing? Yeah, <laughs> right. So I mean, overall, the the major part of the future that they're focusing on in either movie is the cybernetics. Yes, you know. Uh, getting your body parts replaced, you know, like the major theme is, you know, what makes you you? Because if you go through and replace everything uh, in the live action movie, I think somebody replaces a spleen so you can go out drinking more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Futurama had a whole episode about this too, where Hermes starts replacing his entire body with cybernetic parts until mm-hmm. it, you know it becomes <laughs> not Hermes, and right. it's a, it's the same theme going on with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both versions of the story do have scenes where there's questioning of you know what makes a person real and what makes memories real and all that though in the i guess in the 1995 they kind of tied it more into philosophical things where the live action movie it was more about her character like and exploring her past and what you know what she used to be yeah i would say that that's one of the probably the bigger differences between the film is the 1995 one is more of like exploring i think more the world mm-hmm. than the 2017 one, which is she's more exploring herself and what it means. Right. And that's where that was one of the things that I uh, was bringing up before giving into this was the live action one seemed a little more like an origin story where the one from 95, it was as if you're coming into episode five of a series without watching episodes one through four. Yeah, it's a very standard Japanese one as, well, we assume you read the manga, so we're not going to fill you in. We're not going to take the time to do that. Right. Why wouldn't you have read the manga by this point in time? Yeah, that's... That's why you came to see the movie, because mm-hmm. uh, you were tipped off by an advertising in the the manga or the weekly uh, Shonen Jump or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, and at probably, the time, and probably all the nude scenes that they also showed in all the previews at the time. <laughs> no, it was not about the titillation. Come on, <laughs> wink. <laughs> the second major set piece scene would be the one where somebody's ambushed by a. Garbage truck driver. Mm. Um, and then the major and her team uh, chases them and corners them in a, like a little... Kind rip. of an alley type. And, the, oh, mm. and then towards the end of the chase, they chase them into some kind of shallow waterway. Like, mm. Yeah, like a canal or something yeah. like that for uh, water diversion. Um, and then that's, again, where you see the old active camo that she has mm. on in the fight with that one. Again, you'll see subtle changes in the storyline that ultimately affect the ending. Um, mm-hmm. Here, you know, she's still... In the 2017 film, she's dealing with a guy who's been remotely hacked and has false memories implanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's completely a puppet, if you will, right. of the person behind the overall plot. Mm-hmm. The other one, it's... I guess it was still kind of the same. 
Uh, in the original yeah. one, it was the actual hacker himself. Oh, okay. I see what you're going. Yeah. Yeah, he went into the guy, but still just kind of kept him going. I mean, the truck driver was still kind of separate from the puppet master. Yes, but in the 20, 1995 film, the person that she chases into and has that scene is, is the actual hacker. Oh, okay. Yeah, where in this one here, it's all the way through going to be this puppet that they have uh, set up. Now, once again, though, it leads to another major scene, but not one that's I wouldn't say it's one of the top three scenes from it, but uh, to move the story along, where they have this person in a you know closed off room with no access to the network, and somehow he still gets in. Yeah, and they have to deal with the repercussions of that. Like I said, it, it's a it's a pivotal scene in the whole movies, but it's not one of the top three. Right. That you see all the advertisements for. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, I think I didn't see mu- a whole lot of difference between the two scenes. Uh, I think they say it pretty faithfully all the way through. It's still, you know, the active camo. I don't see major changes uh, made. You know, in the first one, like, there's a there's a major plot point difference. Also, uh, you have, like, the robo-geisha mm. um, and everything else, which you don't have in the first one. Right. So there's, like, these major scene changes that really set up the world. But I think in the second scene of the uh, water fight uh, with the garbage man incident... Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty much like a faithful recreation. Yeah. So you brought up the the robo geishas and things like that, where in the re- in the live action one, through most of it, you're kind of led to believe that Major was the first of her kind in a sense of them putting a human brain inside of the shell. Uh, inside of a full robotic body. In the '95 version, it seemed like that was more commonplace. I guess, I, the, the, I guess the movie didn't really go into it, and I'm trying to remember I don't, what the I don't TV don't think series she, was, She's was. still very unique. I don't think it's done all that often. I think even in the series, and like I said, they, they don't talk about that at all in okay. the 1995 movie. But the TV series, I think, goes into a little bit more, and it is unusual, and they don't tend to do that at mm-hmm. all. Usually, you're starting off with a human body, a human body and, and you're just, just kind adding of on to it. adding on to it. Okay. Bato is a good example. In the 1995 film, they, they don't talk about it at all. But you'll see in one scene, uh, he gets his uh, arm shot. You can mm-hmm. see it's cybernetic. And he already has his trademark optical eyes. eyes. Um, in the 2017 movie, he actually expresses reluctance to cyber eyes uh, until he is injured and he has no choice to. Yeah, he starts uh, in the 2017, he starts with normal eyes. And then there's a point in the movie where there's an explosion, his eyes get injured. And so to the point where they couldn't be easily repaired. So they just replace him with uh, the, the optic eyes. Is it that they couldn't easily replace it? Or at this point in time, do they stop trying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, well, we just got we, we got this closet full of eyes. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's kind of a wonder. Like, did medical advancements kind of stop when that became? Oh, well, we can just replace everything with cyber parts. So yeah. why bother fixing people? <laughs> it's easier to it's easier to uh, manufacture something than it is to wait for uh, organ uh, transplants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's another change, and I think where people will see the future going is, uh, the, you know, this is cyberpunk, so you can get more of that cyber thing. But I think any more people now would also be thinking of, you know, that grown organs mm. uh, and the cloning and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so once again, just kind of a change in where people will see the future potentially going. Right. Something that uh, kind of came up quite a lot in the real life one was the concept of giving consent where every time she or they go to make certain changes or before 
they go to look at her mind or her brain or to see how things are functioning, she goes, my name is Major Kusanagi and I give my consent. <laughs> so she had a different name <laughs> in the live action. I don't remember what it was. They gave her yeah. some white person name. <laughs> Did she? I, I thought yeah, it was kind of the same. It was like Mila. It was the same initials. Oh, okay. <laughs> different name. But anyway. So kind of that whole piece of not really the illusion or eventually it, be- it becomes known that it was roughly an illusion that because there's a line where they goes we don't need your consent yeah <laughs> well it's like google doesn't need your consent yeah because <laughs> yeah. you were probably gave it one time yeah you don't uh, realize it yeah uh, all those uh eulas that uh you click past and say i accept i accept yeah you already gave your uh you gave accept. your consent you already gave it away for it's, google uh, yeah. yeah it's south park's uh human sentai <laughs> pad, uh, yeah. all over again <laughs> Well, I think this is one of the changes in the 1995 to 2017 movie. 1995 is dealing with government issues and espionage, where 2017 is dealing with corporate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just going to be a change in, once again, what has happened in the last 22 years. Right. Yeah. And since it's also kind of that origin story thing that Jason mentioned earlier, you know, they have scenes where it's her and the people who created her body and, you know, them working on her, repairing her and stuff like that, which you don't really get at all in the yeah. in the 1995. Yeah, in the 95 one, they just kind of, she's there, is already an acting member, don't need to go into that. Mm. I would say the third and the major set piece film is the battle with the four-legged tank. Yes. The spider, spider tank. tank. Spider tank, yes. Uh, which, if you guys have seen any of the Ghost in the Shell TV series or anything like that, you'll see the uh, Tachikoma look uh, to it. Pretty much, once again, like with the water fight, it's a, like a shot for near shot reenactment. Yeah, as... Um said not seeing any of these before we watched the live action first and then we went back and watched the 95 version it was mirrored a lot of it was i mean her hiding behind pillars and the pillars getting shot up yeah you see that in every action film but uh it was pretty close to everything and even because i didn't the live action have the tree yeah tree mural in the background well the live action had like like an actual tree yeah because it was uh this little hut that she Mm -hmm. lived in in her previous life the 1995 one had a picture of a tree because they were like in some sort of natural history museum yeah well that well no i was thinking uh i can't remember what it's called but it was like origin of life or whatever Mm. it was and how it branches off is it genealogy i think that's what it was where it shows the different branches of mammalia and uh Mm. that kind of thing yeah, it's, it's subtext. Yeah. Is this what they're well, going It is, <laughs> but it was um, just, they had that in both versions of it to kind of link those together as well. Correct. Really the only major difference, uh, so the, the lead up of this scene, uh, what where the, the, the iconic portion of it is where she jumps on the back of the tank and goes to rip out the computing drive or something to yeah. stop it from working. And in the 1995 version, uh, she like rips her arms off trying to do it. Uh, but, emphasis on trying. Yeah, ultimately fails because uh, she kind of budges the the door, but it doesn't come off. Uh, where the live action one, she actually rips it out, ripping her arms off still. Um, but ultimately, that kind of deactivates the tank. In most cases, it still kind of operates a little after. See, I, I think what the difference is in the 2017 film is it is a robotic tank remotely controlled yes. by the main villain. Right. Um, where in the 
1995 version, it's the... It's still being piloted it's, it's physically. A hatch, physically, yeah. yeah. And, and then Bato has to show up and uh, uh, save her right. in the 1995. I mean, he shows up in both of them eventually, but he's much more pivotal in the 1995, once again leading to the 2017 film being much more about uh, the major... Yes, girl power. <laughs> yeah, it's 2017, you gotta have girl power. Yeah. There was another piece that kind of comes up where she kind of has this mentality of she's just a machine and the head or the CEO or whatever of the company refers to as a weapon and through a lot of it. And so she kind of keeps that mentality and she has this one line where this is what I was built for. So just... I'm just a a weapon. I'm not, and kind of keeping yourself devoid of the humanity aspect. Yeah, one of the uh, criticisms of the live action film I've seen is there's no character development, and I would say that those people probably haven't seen the 1995 film because it's completely devoid of character development. <laughs> there's nothing at all where, since they are making it more of uh, the major's origin story, I think there is changes to her. I think the problem is that Scarlett Johansson plays her kind of flat, like you know the, the facial expressions don't really change. But I think that's because she's playing it up as she has robotic parts. You may look human, but everything besides her brain is robotics. And you really have to look at her eyes in this whole Mm -hmm. sequence in order to get any indication of the fact that she is human underneath. Right. Yeah, because in the the 95 version, uh, her her eyes are like a doll in a sense. I mean, they you, they don't really move and in a lot of the shots that they show of her, it feels like they're devoid of life and just kind of setting the scene for her herself for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the 1995 version, I think she's asked herself the same questions of like, you know, what am I, what is my purpose, you know, what have I been built to do? Um, and I think she's kind of given up because she doesn't, she, in the 1995 version, she kind of thinks about it. Yeah. But it's, I think it's much more a central core of what the 2017 film brings about. Right. Because she's actively pursuing that. Yeah. Since, again, origin story style, she's trying to find her place in the world where in the 95 one, she's already resigned herself to this is what I do. Yeah. And because they're not looking at it, that's not that's not the question that's being posed yeah. in 1995. Comparison wise, still, the 95 one felt to move a little slower in some instances. The action scene of the car chase, instead of being what we would normally see as a a pivotal point of the movie, it's intense because you're chasing somebody. The background music didn't really give that feeling. It was kind of slower pace type. It didn't really feel like they were chasing somebody and even during the whole montage piece. Well, I think this kind of goes to show what happens yeah, with the development of like 22 years, you know, also, you know, I don't know personally what the experience of the original director was back in 1995 compared to what the director for the 2017 film was. But I mean, I know Scarlett Johansson has acted in a lot of stuff. So right. I, th- I think this generally overall for storyboarding and how to tell the story and the pacing and everything else. I think that the 2017 live action movie just overall was better prepared to do it and pull it off better. Mm. You know, you mentioned the car chase scene. I would point out again, just the very first 
uh, sequence where she jumps off the building, activates camo, and kills a person. Right. Like, the differences in those right there is a key indication that, in my opinion, the, the 2017 live action is better than the 1995 original. When you're comparing it as a, as a movie. Heretic! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 1995 was awesome as shit, but... Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like going back and playing old video games. Yeah. Or watching old episodes of, like, South Park. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, wow, that's terrible. Yeah, uh, and that's their video games. There are classics like Chrono Trigger, uh, but there are other ones like the original Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior, where it kind of starts to show its age, where the newer Dragon Quests that have come out, they've done a lot of improvements to things. Final Fantasy is the same way. Yeah, Final Fantasy got worse overall. Uh, yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy <laughs> 1. Or 6 and 7. Yeah, 6 and 7 um, were yeah. really great. Yeah, uh, after that, no. <laughs> uh, I hear a lot of people like 9. I, I never got a chance to finish it. But <laughs> speaking of video games, the 95 version didn't have a lot of background music to kind of fill out the scene or to kind of cover the void of people talking. Hey, for the anime, the 95 version, we watched the uh, subbed version, so there was no changes to that. You hear the people talking, but the breaks in their sentences, there's just void. There's nothing there. Well, I think this is going back to your case you were making with the chase scene. Right. That background uh, music does play a part in setting the mood and helping direct what you should be feeling or during these scenes yes and when you when you lose that components i think the, the scenes are a little flat yeah you, you get a little detached from it in some instances i guess it was just just a choice that they made at the time that there's not really much memorable music at least except for like the kind of haunting traditional japanese that plays at the beginning and plays at the end but yeah maybe they just decided that, that they well, didn't want other other things to inter I guess interrupt or uh, distract that, from anything yeah. else that was going on. Whereas the live action movie, you know, it's a basically treated as a big action movie, so you have, you know, your kinda action scene music that just plays yeah, and it's more, not particularly memorable either, but it, there's something there. Something to kind of to get your heart pumping or your get you into what's going on. So a more higher higher pace. Well, I think what Stacey's saying is that it was a stylistic choice to not uh, use the uh, music, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah, I would say it's a sloppy. <laughs> you know, they didn't think about it, um, or they were saving money. Right. Mm. You know, there could be any number of reasons why they didn't choose to do it. But I think creating a movie is weaving a tapestry, and there's several different components. Mm. Um, and sound is one of them. And when, I mean, you can stylistically choose to omit something, but that would be like in a scene. So it's the lack of background music that then sets the scene. Right. But if the whole thing lacks it, then you're not, it's not really doing what it needs to be doing. Or maybe I'm uh, just spoiled from playing the uh, RPG video games where they always have background music playing in the background as you're listening to people talk. Well, I, I think once again, it's just <laughs> a stylistic choice for me, though. Didn't fully pan out well. It didn't fully pan out well, yeah. Uh, so, of course, where most people heard of this film, other than it being an iconic 90s anime, is the issue of whitewashing. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this when we did the Death Note 
yeah. episode. If you guys listen to that one, you'll know that I don't give it as much credence as a lot of people have on the internet or just in person. A lot of people are really upset about this. And what's really funny is that the people who are not upset about a white actress playing the role of the major is Japanese people. And when I say Japanese people, I'm talking about Japanese people from Japan, not Japanese-American people, because they've been very vocal in their uh, dislike of having a white woman cast in the role. But according to Mamoru Oshii, the director of the 1995 anime, in an interview he says, what issue could there possibly be with casting her? The major is a cyborg, and her physical form is an entirely assumed one. The name Motoko Kusanagi and her current body are not her original name and body, so there is no basis for saying that an Asian actress must portray her. Even if her original body, presuming such a thing existed, were a Japanese one, that would still apply. And I think this, once again, leads to where the 2017's film major theme is, is, Mm. you know, who are you in a world where you can replace any part of you? Right. Right. You know, you don't like your spleen or your liver, whatever helps you deal with alcohol, and you just replace it, you know, one night. You just save up from your job, and you go in, and you're like, boom. You're like, now I don't have this one part of me that I don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I can't type fast enough. Well, I want my fingers to all extend out and have, like, you know, 20 fingers uh, so I can type faster. Poor porn. <laughs> Um, of course, then if you're going to do that, you're going to need new eyes because how can <laughs> yep. anyone possibly keep up with typing that much information in? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not the uh, LASIK stuff. No, <laughs> that's low tech. Yeah, just replace those eyes. You don't need them. Yeah. I mean, the issue of can you find a actress of Asian descent to play her aside, I think story-wise, it makes sense. Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers. We could talk since we're near the end of the okay, episode. Okay, it's spoilers. If you don't want to get spoilers, turn it off now. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> so, going with the assumed body, assumed name, could be anything. So, basically, could be done just to kind of keep things out was... They gave her a new face to reduce her previous life's memories from coming to the surface. Well, if we're going to do spoilers. We might as well just do the whole spoiler. Yeah. So, in the live action film, because once again, it's, this is not an issue at all, even discussed, even brought up, even thought about in the 1995 one, is... Who is Matoko Kusanagi? In the 2017 film, uh, she is a runaway that gets kidnapped by the Honka Corporation, amongst a bunch of other people, and it's all an experiment to see if you can transfer a person's consciousness into a robotic body. Everyone else had failed. She is like the sole one that really worked. Every other one's had issues and everything else. And that's actually who the villain is, is a person that she knew when she was a runaway that Asuka got captured, and he's just trying to exact his revenge on Honka for doing this to them kidnapping him and forcing him to uh, do this stuff and it's all unauthorized Google work on people's bodies. Right. So, yeah, she's given a drug uh, that's to help uh, keep down the glitches from the process. Um, I mean, she's she's even lied to by them. They they're said, oh, your family died in a, you know, terrorist bombing on a ferry. Yeah. And they just leave it at that. And, you know, actually, I think that even that is a callback to potential, you know, immigration mm-hmm. and stuff like that as well. But... The drug actually suppresses her memories. The glitches that she's seeing is actually her memories. Right. The way, you know, if people have amnesia or anything like that, you tend to surround them with things that they're familiar with. When people enter dementia, you want to put them in a place that is more familiar. So, 
at a time that they're remembering. So, you know, a lot of times with older people, they try to send them in like a care home that kind of looks like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Or you play the TV shows that are more for that because that's where they think they are. And it's just, you know, how you uh, uh, deal with that. But if you're, try- if you're trying to disguise who you really, who they really are, you're not going to do that at all. Yeah. And in this case, they did just the opposite. Um, they did not want her to remember anything about her past because that made it easier to control her. So, yeah. No, take this drug that's supposed to uh, help your body and mind sync with each other better. Eh, yeah, well, it, maybe it kind of gets rid of your old memories, but that's eh, okay. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Don't worry um, about it. And yeah, change your face. You're no longer a 16-year-old Japanese girl. Uh, you're a 20-something uh, white chick. I would say that, you know, there are a lot of people saying that, oh, just... Yeah, we should have got some Asian, just any Asian to play her. It's like, okay, to actual native Japanese people taking a character who's supposed to be Japanese and just cast them as like with a Chinese or Korean or other actress, they actually find that much more offensive than just completely recasting into, say, a white person in this case. They do find it offensive for Westerners to say, oh, all Asians are just the same as each other. They're all interchangeable. So Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, like the example of Memoirs of a Geisha, they cast uh, what, Zheng Ziyi? Yeah, Zheng Ziyi. Zheng Ziyi, a Chinese actress to play, you know, a Japanese character, and Japan was not happy about that, so <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who are being offended for a group that they don't really understand what is actually offensive to them. Well, yeah, but I think a lot of the people who are complaining are, you know, Japanese Americans and people from Japan. Like I said, we, you know, earlier we read the snippet of the interview from the director of the 1995 film. He's like, it's, it's not an issue. Yeah. You know, because this is a fake body to convince her that she's not a 16 year old girl, but a person with military experience in a, you know, elite task force. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with asking for her consent. Right. You know what she's saying? That. That's all to build trust. Yep. So she will take her drugs. So she will go in and do what they say and everything else. Not go rogue. Exactly. Uh, because that's, I mean, that's what the, the villain is, which is a combination of the puppet master from the original 1995 film and Kuze, the uh, villain from the second season of the TV series. Hmm. Other things is in the 1995 film, there is actually a blonde haired, blue eyed uh, robotic body that they put somebody into. <laughs> I mean, that entity itself is a uh, self aware data program built by the Americans that uh, went rogue. But once again, it's there. Yep. And if I needed to hide uh, this guy's a 16-year-old girl that I abducted, <laughs> I mean, that's how I would do it. <laughs> you, you mean you wouldn't put them on uh, a uh, 12-year-old body? Uh, no, uh, which is the weird thing with the end of the 1995 film is at that point in time, the only part of the body left of uh, the major is just her head. And Bato ha- has to go out and get her a new body. And allegedly, all he can get is that of a 12-year-old girl. Uh, and, then he, and then he puts her in a frilly dress that I guess he just happened to have on hand as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, the, the end of the 1995 film calls much more in question of what Bato does uh, as a side uh, job. In the in the 2017 film, they explore, they combine him more with the TV series and he um, feed stray dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't have weird 12-year-old <laughs> cybernetic <laughs> dolls <laughs> sitting around. 
Oh, you got it off the black market. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, that's where he originally got it from. I don't think you normally buy that. So. He didn't say when he got it. <laughs> I guess something that I like to say about the, the Japanese-ness and the setting and all that is that it's said to be kind of in Japan, but it's... Looks like Hong Kong and the Honka Corporation seems to have mostly white people working for it. So, I mean, that was a little bit strange. And mm. also the scenes where Section 9 was talking together and Aramaki speaking Japanese and everyone else is speaking English, English to him. And they all seem to understand each other fine, even though they're speaking completely different languages. Yeah, uh, I think that's once again going with the immigration theme that you'll mm. see more actually in the TV series. Um, also, cybernetics. Yep. You know, how hard is it? Like, you, they, they have thought communication. Yeah. Where they can go uh, silent. It's not even the, the stuff that they kind of have now, which is like where they put on their throat and it's a vibration mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even that. It's, they even say, like, put on your mind. Um, yeah, turn on, turn on your mind. Yeah. Yeah, whatever they call it. Why wouldn't that have translation on it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose. So I guess everyone can just speak their native language and it it'll is, be um, understood no matter what. Yeah. language the other person understands or speaks yeah and well, then they that kind of already exists already with the un united nations where yeah they have people actually doing the translation and it's going into a mic that's in their ear but so it's the future they already have uh robo kenny or uh, google translate uh <laughs> well, working they, already for them yeah those programs are getting more and more complex and workable uh there's a lot of things where you just speak right into it and it immediately just spits it out yeah yeah, like RoboKenny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it may not be 100% accurate, <laughs> but it will be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, you know, generally speaking, I, I can understand more Japanese than what I will uh, speak. And I have a thick accent, so I'm not necessarily going to say the words out loud. So if I'm listening to somebody, I can still follow along and I'll probably answer in English, especially with a lot of the Japanese people I know. They'll know when I say in uh, English. Mm. You know, so there, it's not unusual, to, I think, to have people talk their native languages and just, like, follow along on those regards. Mm-hmm. There was one thing that I kind of... Thing that I just felt like I would have kind of liked to see in the live action is the scene where Motoko and Kuze are at the place where they were both runaways and they realized, you know, oh, you're Hideo and I'm Motoko. Oh, yeah, they didn't explore that. Uh, They gave him a couple minutes of, oh, hey, I do recognize. I know. I do know who you are. Yeah. And then he gets blown up. Yeah, I almost felt like in that scene, like when they're both realizing who each other are, that they knew each other, that if they'd have a short thing where they just like said something Japanese to each other because they were both actual Japanese people, yeah. like as long as they coach the actors to not have like terrible bad accents, just have a little short thing where they say something. Oh, that was going to be I, dubbed over. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, that was just what I personally felt at that scene <laughs> <laughs> that I would have liked to see. Like at least a nod to, oh, we're both yeah. Japanese. We always. Oh, we used to be, yeah. I guess now now we're in these white bodies, yeah. but we used to be Japanese. <laughs> that would have been dubbed over and you wouldn't have seen their lips move because they would have been talking through their minds. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know in the 2017 film that her name was Makoto. Do we actually know that his name was Kuze? Uh, well, his his original name was Hideo. They Hideo. Said, okay, yeah, yeah, they said yeah. that in the when they went to the the place where they used to live, and they had the right the names on the wall, Everybody. which were written in English, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it said Hideo Motoko. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're part of some cool English club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they ran away to learn English together. Uh, so yeah, so I would say you know, I enjoyed the 1995 film in 1995. Mm. Um, watching it now. 
It is seriously aged. It is a pivotal piece of uh, work, and the uh, especially for America, right? Uh, and what what Japan is. Mm-hmm. If, if actually anything, this. It seems more Japanese to me uh, now, 22 years later, when I have gone back to Japan and I do still find payphones. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it will still be the future in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the 2017 film is much better. It's more polished. I think the storyline of the major yes. finding out who she is was more compelling than just some program becoming self-aware. At the time, I think that storyline was kind of new and innovative, but at this point in time, that concept has been played out over a lot of other films. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to give the live action 2017 film eight phone booths out of ten. Ooh, eight phone booths. Wow. <laughs> uh, I was going to uh, go with the uh, three and a half uh, severed arms out of five. Um. Out of five severed arms. <laughs> was it really severed or just ripped off? No, severed is like a cutting action. Yeah, you're right. This one was just, yeah. Dismembered. Dismembered. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Completely separated from the body. I would say I, I did still, re-watching the 1995 version, enjoy it. I, I guess I didn't feel like it, Josh did that it aged too terribly. <laughs> to me, it still felt compelling, and but I did also enjoy the live action. Yeah, uh, Stacey's very much living in the 90s. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I do still exist in the 90s mainly, so that's why uh, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. So for the... But I do think the live action was well done. Mm-hmm. I'll give it uh, seven nude scenes that are totally not fan service out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> this coming from Miss Fujoshi. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, you. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing to ship in this film. Toyosa and Aramaki. Okay, they don't give you enough in the films to really ship them. I guess on the TV series you could find more ships. True not for really Joshi, in the full. True the for film. Joshi Trash would ship them based on the look Bato gives uh, Aramaki. Mm. But Aramaki's old though. I it was Takeshi. Yeah, he's old now. Sorry. Mm. This replaced his face with him from Datsuichi the Blind Swordsman, one of his yeah. best films, I think. Uh. <laughs> or uh, you can go back to the uh, 95 and ship Bato and uh, 12-year-old Lolly uh, no, Major. No, 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 no. If you're going to go back to 1995, you're going to do uh, Takeshi's Castle. Oh, okay. Takeshi. <laughs> <laughs> and Bato. All right, I will accept that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so with that uh, as an end, uh, thank you for listening to Real Japan. Please visit us at anabrosecreative.com and check out our other podcasts as well. Yeah, we got J Talk. Fujoshi got, Trash. We got Fujoshi Trash with me. Annie Bros. <laughs> we have Annie Bros. We got Annie Bros all over the place coming out of every orifice. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Otafu Susume with a different couple than me and Josh arguing with each other over anime and related things. Yeah. Yes, uh, um, hopefully one day we they will invite us to show up on their podcast <laughs> as they have crashed ours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nah, that won't happen. So with that, night, everybody. See you in 2029. Bitches. <laughs>